Welcome to Shaken Not Stir, the best served cold after party. Where we dissect cases even more, chat about current news stories, and just generally shoot the shit. Welcome to the show. It feels really weird to be recording a podcast episode when the world could potentially come to an end tomorrow. The world's essentially in limbo right now, just waiting for certain events to transpire. Yeah, and I keep seeing it keeps swinging back and forth and it's deeply stressing me out. So, you know, that's what wine's for. That's what alcohol's there for. What are you drinking this evening, Tama? Uh, I'm having a margarita. Oh, fancy. It's one of those days. I see you've, you've foregone the salty rim, though. We don't have any salt left, so I had to forego oh. it. We have no salt left. We have zero salt. We ran out of salt. Oh, that's... It tends no. to happen when you use the salt. You know what they say, a life without salt is a life that isn't good. <laughs> a life without salt is a life without salt. What I Time to buy more salt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been a kind of a weird week all around. So I started a new job, which I was very excited to be back at work and to have a schedule and, you know, to not be sitting at home watching TV all day for like four, five weeks. But I am so tired. Like, I think I forgot how to like exist for that many yeah. hours of a day. I've Just become used to only really, yeah, I think I became used to like running on like 25% battery all the time because I just wasn't doing anything and now I have to like function as a human being again. Yeah. Gross. Uh, so if you're new here, this is Shaker Not Stirred. It is the after show for the main episode. We didn't have a main episode for this week because, as Laura just said, she has started a new job. Congratulations all around to Laura for actually being employed now. Uh, And it's just been a bit of a crazy week with the elections and everything going on where just kind of not mentally there. We don't really ever want to record an episode, especially a main episode, where we're not fully in it. Yeah, these are a bit more like... A bit looser, a bit sillier. Yeah, there's no general structure. It's kind of just things we want to go over and talk about. But we always kind of want to make sure we we do a good job when it comes to the main episode. So we just decided to, you know, give give ourselves a little break rather than producing something that was shite. Yeah, and plus it was also just the Halloween uh, special. It was a lot of research. There's a lot of cases yeah, and a lot of research. Yeah, I think I fried my brain a little bit. Yeah, so some much needed little day off or so. And we'll jump right back into it next week. It'll be all everything as normal. Yeah, I think we'll be like refreshed, refueled, ready to go as of next week. We are joined again by our middle child, Toffee, who is sniffing Tama's fingers like super intently. Yeah. Where have your fingers been, Tama? Uh, they've been touching pizza. So, oh, did you not wash your hands? Wash my hands after eating pizza. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, no, I did not wash my hands. Oh, I did. Okay, sure. Well, she really is digging the pizza smell. Well, she's also biting my hand really hard, so I think maybe she thinks it's a slice of pizza. Probably, she's not the brightest. No, at all. And she's going to fall off the couch. Anyway, enough cat talk. Um, So, I'm one of your hosts, Laura Elise. And I am Tama J. Did you forget your name then for a second? No, I just didn't realize what you were doing. Oh. Uh, Yeah, as Tama said, if you're new here, this is our little mini episode. You can follow us on social media at the BSC podcast. Our new merch is actually selling, which we're very excited about because we obviously make a pretty small margin but we make some cash off it so it's that's very nice we also have a lovely sponsor for this episode so thank you podcorn for sponsoring this episode you'll hear from them sort of midway through the show Mm. i think that's all the housekeeping i forgot what the word was for a second so yeah we'll just uh jump into it i think because we missed last week and the week before for Shaken Not Stirred, 
because uh, we had some recording issues and then we did the Halloween episode. We are still we still need to catch up on the recordings for the Jennifer Pan case. Yeah. So we're going to do a little bit of that. And then I think we'll probably just shoot the shit at the end. Mm. As we do so often. Mm. That's what and we, so well. Yeah, it's, it's our main <clears throat> hobby. It's our forte. If anyone's interested also, I am genuinely drinking wine this evening. So I'm drinking a lovely uh, Shiraz. I want to say it's a Shiraz. I'd be lying if I said I paid that much attention to what I drink. I think it's a Shiraz. Let's go with that. Yeah, let's, let's it's say it's delicious, yeah. and it's uh, it's it's really hitting well considering how tired I am. Also, I did. We have a friend, one of our good friends, Lucinda. If you are listening, hello. She is a former PT who does like little workouts for us in the park. We work out together twice a week. It's actually quite fun, and she absolutely kicked. Our asses yesterday, and I think oh, Tama yeah. and I are both suffering. And I had ballet today as well, so my body is like so broken and tired. And yeah, the good kind of broken, like the tired satisfaction of a good workout. But yeah, she's she's tired. She's, she's a tired, tired this week. Uh, yeah. So I guess just to jump into our episode a bit. We did want to sort of talk about the Jennifer Pan case a bit more because the article that I read most of got and got my, most of my information from, which was a Toronto Life article written by Karen K. Ho, she actually went to school with Jennifer Pan and was in the grade below her. So she's, as I said in the episode, she's the literal best source of information that you could get when it comes to this kind of stuff. And there was a few things that she mentioned that I didn't really add into the to make the main episode just because it was a bit more personal level. Mm. Uh, like, for example, she talked about how she can relate to Jennifer's strict upbringing, being that she's from an Asian immigrant family herself. In her case, her family came from Hong Kong, the same situation. They came from nothing. Um, you know, her, their parents worked really hard. Her father demanded a lot from her and expected her to be the top of her classes in maths and science and always be obedient. Um, basically, the kind of theme here that she saw was that a lot of Asian immigrant families coming to America and Canada and whatnot wanted a trophy child to kind of brag about, you know, hmm. someone with achievements, um, you know, of, of like your their siblings and their children would make them feel insecure so their yeah. children need to be able to you know pick up the slack and then you have the other side of it where they're just parents who've worked really hard to get to where they are at the at the state that they are they want their kids to sort of work the same level yeah. of them um she also said that hugs were a rarity in their house and Birthday parties and gifts from Santa stopped around age nine. Oh, wow. Yeah. The hugging thing is sad for me because you know I'm a big hugger. Yeah. Yeah. It's a similar thing with um, Jennifer Pan's father where he wouldn't show any affection or any kind of, um, you know, appreciation for anything she did when she succeeded as well. Mm. So it was like you have this huge demand to do something well and be the best you can be, but no positive reaffirmation you yeah know? so it's a very toxic um reward system thing right yeah that like you there get is... like affection from your family for succeeding exactly yeah and like the very slim affection you can get comes from doing the absolute best you can do which you can only do so often yeah you're, you're never going to be able to do the best no you can one be can ever be firing firing on all, all cylinders at all time. You're basically asked to be succeeding yourself every single time, which is impossible to do. Mm. A horrible set um, goal to have. Can I just um, go on a slight tangent? Go for it, yeah. Sorry, I just hiccuped. Slight tangent here. It's actually a really interesting thing that you hear about, particularly with our generation, that our generation, and I'm, I bring this up because Jennifer Pan, I believe, is a millennial. Um, I think think so she's like yeah. 30 
four now. So, so she's maybe an older millennial, but the millennial. she's within our age bracket. So people often say that our generation was the kind of like you can do anything and be anything you want generation and we got you know participation trophy trophies and it's kind of like set us up with those false not false because obviously within reason you can do anything and be anyone you want to be but you know i probably can accept the fact that i'm not smart enough to be an astrophysicist and i no matter how much i studied or worked hard i probably couldn't ever be that and it's kind of that similar thing with the immigrant parents where you kind of if you study hard enough and if you work hard enough you can but like some people just aren't cut sure. out for yeah that. i mean i mean it's does di- that make sense what sort I'm of saying? but it's it's kind of different when you talk about things like astrophysics and engineering and and things like that and like physiotherapy where it is something that if you dedicate enough time to studying it you can understand it and therefore you can make a career out of it. It's not so much a matter of you're not smart enough to be able to do it. Well, that was it. just an example. I know, but-, but but there are things like that where it's like, I'm not smart enough to be able to divide a, the sum of this equation off the top of my head. Mm. I can't do that. That's just not a thing. But given the right amount of like years and years and yeah. years of practice, I could have, but I haven't done that. I was just... <clears throat> More so with astrophysics, it's like if if you dedicated four years of your life to studying it, you'd probably have a good understanding of it. Yeah, I'm also referring to the whole concept of if you just work hard enough because some people just aren't cut out for it. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like I know that I am someone who, you know, you've known me for like five years now, who just generally kind of has like lower energy levels because there's a few like health things that go into that. But I'm not physically able to like push myself to burn out because I literally like my body falls apart. Yeah. So it's like I don't, I'm physically not capable of being that. Just work harder, just you know, run off four hours of sleep a night and work, 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 because I'm just not physically capable of doing that. And a lot of people are like that. So it's very interesting that you have that perception that um, Karen, was it? Karen Cahoe. Yeah, Karen was talking about about that perception of immigrant parents, of if you just work hard enough, you too can have this success. Because some people just are literally not built that way. I think if there's anything to take away from this... Mind this whole thing, this article and this situation, it's that this frame of thinking doesn't always work. Yeah. It's all well and good in theory that tough love and hard work can pay off in the end. Like, sure. And maybe, you know, it it works out in, in, in the end because you see so many, like, successful students... In most universities, there's a huge demographic of them that are from Asian-backed cultures and um, Asian immigrant families. Yeah. And they come from this culture of parents forcing them, or not so much forcing them, but very being very strict on them to work hard at what they do. And maybe that's a result of that cultural thing where um, Asian immigrant families tend to work their children harder than Anglo-Saxon you know, yeah. European families. And maybe there's a result to that. But I think in the general view of the things, it doesn't always work. And it's not a yeah. very healthy mindset no. well, you to know, set. Drip feeding children affection in return for yeah. good behavior. There's a balance there. And I'm sure it's there. But it's just not quite there where they're, where they're exercising right now. Well, I think there's a big difference between affection and reward. Yeah. Like, I think affection, especially when you're talking about your own children, should be something that's always freely given. Like, praise and rewards, though, are something that can be used for, you know, correct behaviour. Does that make sense? Yeah. Uh, I found the most interesting thing with um, 
Jennifer Pan's case was that you have the two parents, Beak and Han. Beak is very affectionate, but very strict. She's mm-hmm. an interesting balance because she's a strict parent who had to work hard for what she and her husband achieved and then wants to pass it on to their children. But Han's clearly the, you know, the male of the family. He's very aggressive in his stance and wants to be very dictatorial. Like alpha about, male. Very well, alpha not male. so much alpha male, but more so his way is the only way. Mm. And no hugs, no sense of appreciation for what you do. It's just, you know, you do well and that's your thing. You do that. Whereas yeah. Beak is a very affectionate mother, loves her daughter. The first thing that happened when she got tied up and robbed at gunpoint was ask about her daughter. Like, can you please make sure my daughter's safe? Like, don't harm my daughter. She's pleading for her daughter's, daughter's life, you know. Mm. Um. And it seems like maybe there was a good balance there because when she was breaking rules left and right and center and they took away her phone, her dad was very like, no phone usage, no Facebook, no nothing. And her mom would sneak her the phone or tell her where the phone was rather. And, you know, I found that fascinating because it's like, what if both parents were like that? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you have this... Clearly, this mentally ill person who's, as a result of trying to be the best they can possibly be, but being stunted by physical injuries and being stunted by physical flaws and limitations that are beyond their understanding and their reach. And then, on top of that, their parents aren't appreciative of them trying their hardest, even Mm. though they're trying their literal fucking hardest. I'd just also like to quickly clarify that we're not in any way, like, trying to justify... No, and we talked murder. about that in the main episode. If, like, And by if the way, if you haven't listened to it, listen to the main episode. Because none but... of this makes sense if you haven't listened to it. Yeah. But it is very interesting to look into what's formed the psychological backbone of who this person exactly, has become. Yeah. We, we never, like, we never sit down yeah. and go, I understand in terms of I know... I empathize with what he did. I can empathize with what how people feel or I can put myself in people's shoes and try to yeah. understand how they might have felt in this situation, but I never we never condone yeah. what people do. It's not a it's not It's just so interesting to think that her as a when it happened 25 year old 23 I think she was at the time 20 year grown ass adult yeah she was old yeah but at, at that age she was at university age she still couldn't wrap her head around that leaving was easier yeah than murdering both your parents I mean it's, it's a huge very it's a, strange it's a big thing of like she's been micromanaged her whole life so she doesn't know what it's like to be a fucking adult and she has this taste of it. But at the same and that's time, what takes her away she from She had life. this whole lie. She worked like what, two jobs? Two, so three jobs, I believe, at some point. She didn't know how to like manage her own life because that's a lot. I'm to, not saying she yeah. didn't. I'm saying her parents micromanage everything else that she did. Yeah. So it was a matter of like, she, you know, it's hard because I want to say that she loved her parents and. That's what made her stay, or she was fearful of her parents. Mm. You know, it's hard to say because that's the one thing I can't seem to get my brain around. I can't sit myself in her shoes and go, I definitively think it's this thing. Yeah, it's you know? very confusing to me as well. And that's why I would love to sit down with her and pick her brain to try and figure yeah, out. and be like, girl, bitch, what, what the fuck? Yeah. Like, what was the emotion there? Like, why did you choose to stay? It's why? Just that, like TikTok meme, but you did this for, for what? Why not? <laughs> why? You know, was why it not? was it like simply a matter of you loved your parents, and then this situation arises because someone mentions that they thought about killing their own parents, and then it's like, 
interesting. I could kill my dad. My mum's okay because she's not as domineering. I can kill my dad and be rid of him forever. Like, what a fucking selfish thing to do as well. She's like, yeah, mum will be fine. She won't even be sad about dad. Well, then eventually it spirals into me and my boyfriend can earn money from the estate if they're both dead. See, because that makes sense because that's your very stereotypical kill for money. Yeah, that's the, it's always the person closest to you kind of thing. Yeah, it's the, that makes sense to me. Like, that end of the plot, I'm like, yeah, it fits. Like, it's like, countless crimes like this yeah. have been committed before. The it's 60s the whole, and 50s were riddled with them. I can't possibly go and live my own life, so I'm going to murder my parents, which will then mean I'm... Because obviously she wasn't afraid. To... See, this is what doesn't make sense to me. She obviously wasn't afraid to live her own life because killing both your parents means you're forced to live your own life because they don't exist yeah. anymore. and she's had a taste of it living with her boyfriend at so this time. So if you can wrap your head around life without them, why not just... Like, that's the part that I really can't understand. Yeah. It, it, it all stems from the compulsive lying. That's the, that's, the, that's the kicker there. It's the same thing with the Casey Anthony case. Why did she decide to kill her baby instead of... Oops, sorry. Instead of... Any other solution. Yeah. It's, Adoption It's, it's or honestly like so baffling to me. Yeah. It, it's, I think for both cases, and if you haven't read up the Casey Lee Anthony um, case, we have an episode about it. Check that out. But in both cases, they're compulsive liars. They're used to getting their way with things by lying their way out of it. However, in the Jennifer Pan case her parents are much less willing to accept her lies. Yeah. But in either case, they've successfully lied to people and formulated this false narrative of um, fictitious stems yeah, of lies. Like, so they, they've gone their whole lives thinking, if I just, you know, lie my way out of this or if I figure out a way to manipulate these people into that, I can get my way with things. And then it comes to these situations of like, in terms of Casey Anthony, she has a baby. Um, she meets a guy, the guy, uh, and this has happened like in, in so many true crime cases, which it's just baffling. Where a woman who has a baby, as a single mother, loves the baby, but meets a guy who doesn't want to have a pre-started family, wants to have her his own family with a woman who doesn't already have a baby. Right, mm. and they're young. They're in the twenties. They want to party all the time, and they can't because you got a fucking baby at home. You got to get a babysitter or someone to sort of look after the baby. Yeah. So then, what? What's the then logical solution for this person who, you know, thinks they can get away with anything? Yeah. Well, to me, that has the same, and I guess, I guess, in a way, the Jennifer Pan thing has the same uh, thought process that goes behind someone who gets to the point where they want to take their own life mm. is you've just mentally backed yourself into such a corner and convinced yourself of so many things in your own head that aren't true that to you, it makes perfect sense as your only option. Yeah. And it might not be something that you want to do, but to you, you've talked yourself into believing that it's the only thing you can do. Have you ever wanted to try a different ice cream flavor. I really, from really a, thought that was going down a much darker path. From a place that you, you would, you've, you've tried before, you like it, you want to try to have a different flavor this time. Like, you've heard about this other flavor, or there's flavors advertised, and you go, that sounds ama- awesome, like, you know, caramel popcorn, whatever, great. And then you get there, and you start to think, oh, I don't really want that. I want this thing that, I've always kind of had or I've had before that I'm comfortable with selecting rather than stepping out of yeah, I, my comfort zone. You've just described my thought process every time I order Thai food. It's a simple or ice cream. human yeah, thing that we do thing. where it's it's uncomfortable to stretch far out of our understanding or our capabilities. Yeah. We know that we like this flavor we've tried before. And we don't know if we like this flavor that we could potentially get if we wanted to experiment or try it out. Yeah. 
it's this life of like, this is what I have and this is what I'm experiencing. If I get this new thing or I try this new thing or I try a different avenue, yeah, I might not get this flavor ever again. I might not, not ever experience this thing again. If I am Jennifer Pan and I live with my parents and I listen to what they wanted me to do and I do everything they want me to do, I might never experience a relationship like I've had with this guy. I might never experience working Mm. three jobs, living by myself at this age. This is what I know. This is what I've experienced. I'm young. I'm not getting any younger. I'm wasting away my years thinking about this potential life with my parents. Mm. Casey Lee Anthony, I'm wasting my life away looking after this fucking baby. Yeah. I'm used to being a party girl, you know, hanging out, drinking, yeah. Hanging out with dudes, whatever. It's a it's a weird thing that we mentally do and it's been almost exaggerated in these situations. Yeah. You know, uh, it's been amplified yeah. to a sense of I don't want this thing taking me on a new avenue in life that I didn't expect or I didn't mm. want. This is not I don't have control over my life anymore. These advertising companies are telling me to try this flavor yeah. when I don't want that. I want this flavor I've already had. You know what I mean? Of, yeah, it's a really good way of looking at it. It's no, a I very really thought of it that way. It's a very interesting yeah. thought process that that we go through as humans. And it's in some cases it's very minuscule. It could mm. be ice cream flavors. In some cases, people have killed their fucking parents because of it. Yeah. Well, shall we take a very brief ad break? We shall. And then come back and we'll listen to some of the recordings associated with this case. Yes. We'll be back. Goodbye. Soon. Hey, Tama, did you ever wonder when we started this show if we were ever going to be able to monetize it? Yeah, I did, actually. It seems kind of uh, daunting at the start to reach out to other brands and pitch our show without ever really knowing if we were ever going to get a sponsorship. And I thought exactly the same, which is why I was really happy when we found Podcorn. So Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship opportunities such as host-read ads, interview segments, topical discussions, and more. It's basically like a dating site for, for podcast sponsorships. With Podcorn, there is no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly without any exclusivities. You never give up any of your rights to your podcast and PodCon is here to support you as a creator at every step and ensure you're protected and compensated for the work you do for your brands. And protection of your creative rights, especially on the internet, is something that all creatives have been worried about since, you know, at some stage or another. The Marketplace mission is here to give podcasters transparency, creative freedom, and full control of how and when we monetize. Because we work on a lot of different creative platforms, and I think at some stage or another, you have either had work stolen or been unfairly compensated for the work. So PodCon is an amazing platform to help end that. Click the link in our show notes to sign up to PodCon and start browsing sponsorship opportunities. Thank you, PodCon. Thank you, PodCon. Big and we're back. thank you to PodCon. Yeah, thank you. We love getting to make a little bit of money from this show, so it's really exciting for us to have sponsors. Yes. So thank you. And thank you to everyone who's bought our merch. Um, yeah, I was really stoked about that. We've sold quite a few of the t-shirts, which is very exciting. And next week, I'm going to also pop the designs up on Public on some like mugs and stickers and stuff. Mm, nice. Mm, if stickers or tote bags or mugs stickers. are your thing. They'll be available from next week. Uh, so I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Tama, I believe the first thing we're going to be listening to is the 911 That is correct. Recording. That is so very correct. So obviously, if you are someone who does not enjoy listening to 911 dispatch calls, maybe you just skip forward about, how long was the call? Oh, I'd say skip forward just a couple, like a minute or so. Like we'll, right. we'll, be t- we'll be talking about it afterwards. So we will play the recording for you all and then we'll chat about it after. Where are you, ma'am? Ma'am, calm down. Some people broke into our house. Okay, okay. 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 Ok
just pausing it there. So that is the 911 call. And I mentioned it in the main episode, but you can see the differences in the, in the kind of panic in her voice. Initially, it's like wavy and spluttery and, you know, a typical kind of panic expression you would hear from someone whose, you know, parents have been robbed or the house has been robbed, they're in shock, whatever. And then out of nowhere, you hear Jennifer Pan's father, Han, screaming for help. Mm. That's, if you didn't hear that, that little muffled um extra expression there and i would recommend um looking up the the 911 call just so you can hear for yourself the help was han screaming out for help after being shot two or three times i believe it was Uh, and running outside you can hear jennifer screaming like my dad just ran outside screaming for help and you see it's this instant like transition of like, help me, I'm scared, I'm scared, blah, blah, blah. My dad is screaming. And it's at the second where she knows that she's in trouble because her dad survived this attack. Yeah. And knows that, A, she wasn't walking around tied up, and B, was talking as if she was talking to a friend yeah. with the attackers. Yeah. You know, she's fucked at this point. So it's this panic of, like... You hear her scream out in Vietnamese to her dad to, like, you know. Yeah. That's so crazy. Yeah, it's just bizarre. It, it's so... It's just so um, baffling. And listening to it, it's just this... You hear this clear panic of, like, shit, I think I'm screwed. Or, like, just I don't have control over the situation anymore. And this yeah. is this real raw moment of, like, just a girl panicking compared to what I think might have been genuine acting at the start mm. you know yeah anyway let's continue um so that was the 9 call we will jump into the interrogation with um jennifer pan i think this was the initial one when um she wasn't initially a suspect but they just interrogated her f- um to start with so we'll just jump i want to go that. through a form with you it may seem kind of you know why you're doing this, but um, this is a—it's—it's it's like you're—you're you're swearing to tell the truth about what you're going to talk to me about, and it's also going to explain to you the um, the penalties for not telling the truth. I don't expect you uh, to help me, but for a homicide investigation, anyone who's very close to the investigation, we do this with. Okay, so this isn't suspecting that you're not going to tell the truth. This is more of a feature that you understand the importance of telling the complete truth. So at this moment, she's not a suspect for the murder of her mother and or attempted murder of her father. So she's not an official suspect, but she's a do witness. the police kind of think something's off yet? Not yet. So she's Just the po- way he keeps talking about the truth, telling the truth, the complete truth. I don't know. It seems like he's so goading her. Not yet. That she's pulled in as a witness at this point. They think she's just a, a daughter who's been through a traumatic yeah. experience. You can't immediately go, you know, um, you like. There's nothing to point yet. Yeah. That there's any suspicious activity. It's not until they go through her phone and they go through her story. And they find holes in the story and go, this is weird. I don't understand this. Um, So we'll just skip to a bit further um, where she's giving her side of her, like explaining her side of the story, essentially. And then we're going to move, we're going to move forward. Okay. Um, Yesterday, probably around nine o'clock in the morning, nine, nine thirty, my mother she woke me up and she told me that she was going to going to visit my grandfather. So just throughout this part, she's just basically explaining that she played piano, um, talk, talked on the phone with her friends, had dinner with her parents, etc. Just um, very basic stuff. Mundane stuff. Yeah. 
her mum leaves for her lion dancing lessons, which we mentioned before, and she is watching TV in her bedroom. Suddenly, I just heard my mom calling for my dad to come down, and that's when I lowered the volume on my TV, and I could hear the voices weren't any voices I was very familiar with. And so I was scared, and I couldn't move. I just sat in my room for a while, and then... I thought I heard them all let, like leave the top floor and I peered out of my bedroom door and a guy was there and he came at me and had string in his hands and tied my arms back and said I have a gun behind your back do what I say if you do what I say then no one will get hurt where is the money show me where your money is my mom kept trying to get up and they kept telling her sit down and so I didn't want her to get hurt so I told her mom sit down they were trying to find her wallet but she her English thinker, so she kept saying first. They kept pushing her down onto the chair. Okay. Take your time. Take your time. All this is very important, so take your time. So everything so far, including... Uh, if you've seen the footage or you're going to see the footage, there's a part where the detective walks in through the door with a, clean, with a bunch of Kleenex tissues, and she physically shakes from fear like she's startled yeah and everything including that and her hunched you know posture her shaky voice the way she's recounting the story the violence towards her mother it's all very like telling of someone who's been through an experience that has been traumatizing like as if this really happened the way that she says yeah this is essentially just her going over what happens um and it's very interesting because if you had zero context of what happened and you just watched that video, you'd probably be very convinced that she's just a random old victim. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So up until this point, I think it's pretty clear the detective doesn't necessarily suspect her of anything yet, just kind of believes she's another victim, but... It's not until this next part when things start to change in that respect. They kept all the lights off on the main floor. The only time there was light was when they opened the fridge door to see if they could find where my mom's purse was. Take yourself back to a moment in your life when you have been overwhelmingly upset about something, and at the same time were trying to explain to someone why you were upset. You wouldn't quietly and reservedly convey the events. You would likely blurt them out in a forceful and disordered manner. Your sole focus would be on processing your thoughts and conveying them into speech. The emotional turbulence of severe hysteria and grief makes it very difficult to convey thought into actual dialogue, and the simple wording of a sentence becomes very challenging. Jennifer seems to be more concentrated on how she's being perceived, yet finds her words easily and executes her sentences perfectly. One of the, the gentlemen asked my father if he had money in his wallet and where his wallet was. So they took me, because I was next to the stairwell, they took me up the stairs to sh show them where my father's wallet was. But I am i didn't know. They had turned the room upside down. I didn't know where his pants were at that time. Next thing I know, I think I heard my parents going down the stairs. And my mom was asking them for me to come with them. They wouldn't let me come with them. And after he said, the last things I heard them say was, You lied. You lied to us. You lied to us. And then I heard two pops. My mom screamed. I yelled out for her. And a couple more pops. Take your time. Take your time. And I think I heard my mom say or moan or something, and then they did one more before they left, and then one of the guys said, we have to go now. It's been too long. And then they ran out the door. And I think once they were out the door, 
I heard my dad go up the stairs. Okay, so this is the interesting part. She is basically just listing off these details and trying to perceive herself as this victim now. So it's no longer like a sense of, you know, oh, I went through this horrible thing, like, holy crap. And it's now just like this retelling of events to try and give a narrative to the detectives because she feels that's what he wants to hear or that's what he needs to know or that's how she wants to be perceived by him. It's a simple matter of just looking at it from the shoes of the victim and saying, how would you respond to retelling these details? You know, it wouldn't be a formulated, carefully curated sentence where you call the intruders gentlemen. It's just, it's just these little details that you pick up on, which kind of start to spiral into this weird mixture of skepticism and, um, yeah, it's it's very interesting. So we're gonna continue. My on. phone in my in my on me behind me that I had hidden there that they didn't know about. So when I when I. When they, when I thought that they had heard them all leave, and my dad ran up the stairs, I whipped up the phone and I called 911. But I, I still hadn't heard anything from my mom, and all I could hear was my dad running on the street, just moaning and making sounds. So here's where it kind of goes from formulated uh, story that she's obviously pre-planned prior to this interview and this interrogation where she's just said that she noticed her dad going up the stairs before she makes a phone call and then then she's leading into the actual phone call itself and she's previously told the detective that her hands were tied behind her backs and tied to a banister that she had no access to anything in front of her she couldn't really use her hands so and she obviously made a 911 call so how does that work itself out so here's where she kind of starts to stutter and stammer and trip over her own words and when trying to explain how she was able to actually make this 911 call when her hands were tied and she was incapacitated. Um, and what's interesting is if you watch the video to this, which I implore you to do so, there's a little thing that guilty suspects would do is they declare a statement and then they look for the detective or the person listening to them for approval is a sort of sense of does my answer um, is that sufficient enough? Have I gotten away with what I've just said? Does that make sense? So we'll just carry on. The only thing I can remember with him was he had dreadlocks. He had dreadlocks. So are you, uh, it, can you describe his race to me? He was black. Did it was his head covered? Was his face covered? Do you remember anything about that? Just that his dreadlocks were like kind of like flopping all over the place. I couldn't really see his face and they kept the lights dark as much as as much as possible. Did he have a gun? Yes. Did you see the gun? I only saw the top part of the gun. What did it look like? Um, kind of, it was black. Yeah. Do you know where the other guys involved in this are? I know one stayed with my parents downstairs. Okay. Um, the other one, I'm not, at that point in time, I was more focused on him, like, he was seeing me and he was coming after me. So you're I saying think. there's three for sure? Yes. That's all, you saw a total of three at one time, you saw three people yes. together? Yes, when I went downstairs, okay. I saw three shadows. Now the first guy, who spoke to you, what kind of, did he have any accent? None Is it clear? that I could make out. Was it clear English? English. Unbroken? Unbroken. No accent. From the terms he used, I didn't get to pick up an accent. No, he used so short phrases. He sounded he sounded Canadian. I would say yes. He was born here. He was born here. So here, Jennifer basically just describes the accents and the ethnicity of the intruders and how many intruders there were at the request of the detective, and goes through her story and um, in sense of. She was taken downstairs to where her parents were. She saw that they were under guard and then they took her up to her room and the parents' room to find money in the different rooms. Um, and then the sort of story continues. 
And the next thing I can hear are them telling my parents to move to the basement. Okay. And I'm asking them, why, where are you going? And my mom's yelling to me, I want my daughter. Why can't my daughter come too? I want my daughter. Jennifer then hears one of the intruders yell, you lied to us. Who do you hear yelling you lied to us or to Number that extent? Number three. Number three. To my, I'm assuming it's to my father because he was the one asking for the wallet. Now you hear this commotion downstairs. You said you heard two pops and you heard who scream? Your mom. And what was she screaming? Do you I remember? make it out. It yeah. was kind of like a cry, cry yell, so it was just... Okay. They had made the first round, or pop, pop, and they, has, they had said, okay, that's enough. Let's go. Who said that? Whose voice is that? Number one. Okay. And then I heard one more after that, and they were like, that's enough. Let's go. Okay. And again, that's number one. Yes. So what do you hear next after you hear the scrambling? They're gone, because you're hearing no more. I gather that's how you assume they're gone is because you don't hear. It. Then you hear your dad. I, I reach for my phone. At okay. That point. And you call nine one one. Okay. When your father exits, you hear the door open, because you hear your dad, and then you. And then see. I can hear like the outside noises. Okay. Like the wind coming in, and I just hear my dad. Ah, I think he. What's inter interesting here, which is kind of hard for auditory listeners, um, but she has these two different polar opposite emotions that she exhibits when talking to the detective. It's almost as if recounting a story that you've heard about and she smiles a little bit at some stage and realizes that this isn't the appropriate demeanor or look of someone who's gone through an experience like that and changes it up almost immediately mm. it's very chilling it's very yeah hard to watch um yeah so <clears throat> basically i think i'm just going to skip forward a bit um and get into there's basically just this section where they kind of try to they catch her out in these a different a few different statements yeah um, but I mostly just want to highlight that because that was one of the most creepiest parts of the whole interrogation. And at this point, she... If if it was a convincing witness testimony and they were absolutely convinced that she had nothing to do with anything that happened or that there weren't details missing that or that she was avoiding... That would have been it. That would have been probably it. Mm. She would have been gone home. She's a, 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 a young an adult at this stage. It would have been psychological traumatizing to pull her in for more questioning. But the situation and the and the the statements she's given, they're not strong. They're suspicious. So she's called into questioning two days later again, which is abnormal for a witness, but they still hold the front of that it's a witness... Uh, interview mm. that they just need more details from her but the whole idea is it's treated like as such and they yeah. don't want to necessarily call her out as a suspect but she is at this point a prime suspect and they're trying to get out as much information as they can from her at the same time cross-examining her and calling her out on several different things that she stated before do you know what I think, as I was watching this, I don't know why this popped into my head. Mm -hmm. I think it's because I'm always thinking about how to get away with murder just in case I ever need it. Um, I was actually thinking the perfect cover, if you were going to hire a hitman in that sort of scenario where your your alibi is that you were there, just get really drunk. Because... Then, so you've already organized the hit, right? So you don't need to right. actually be conscious to witness it. You get taken into the police station after. They see you drunk. They test your blood alcohol level. They confirm that you are, in fact, drunk. Anything you have to say for that night, if you can't remember things, if you fuck up details, it's because you were drunk. Yeah. Um... 
but then by the time they actually question you, you will have sobered up, and so you have your wits so about you. A the bit only more. thing about that is, any detective worth his nut can tell the difference between someone purposely trying to mis- mislead the detective and someone who's not actively trying to. No, but that's what I'm saying. That's why you don't is, lie. You actually get drunk. But, but if you, the idea is you're getting drunk to hide the fact that you can't remember what happened last night. No, 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 no. Not that drunk. I'm not talking like blackout drunk. I'm talking but you're like... you're saying to hide the fact that you've murdered someone. No, I'm not. I'm saying to hide the fact that you were involved. So if they were to question... Things like, well, how did you get your phone out of you when you were tied to the banister with your hands behind your back? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But like still... Weird, psych- I don't know. I think... I just think it would it would allow a lot of... Uh, sure. Changed details, forgotten details. The only thing is, psychologically, you're going to give so many tells at the fact that you, you have something to do with it. You know what I mean? It's, it's never going to be solid. Sure, you're not. You're not gonna. It's gonna be convincing if you say, like, I don't know how I got my phone out of my waistband, but you know, in your brain, that you had something to do with the murder. No, no, no. But my point is, is that when Jennifer gets bought in, they don't think she's a suspect. It's only because her story's so weird and fucked up that they start to pick and pull at the thread. Yeah, but also it's because she knows that she's involved and yeah. she's trying to lie her way out of it and to get her way out of it and they pick up on the fact that A, her story's bullshit and B, she has these emotional and physical I mean, tells. I'm not saying it's a foolproof plan. I'm no, saying but it's that's a what I'm good saying. little yeah. added detail that sure. would help you potentially get away with it. But like I said, any detective who's worth his nut is going to be able to pick up on your body language and the way you say things and the way you re- can't recall things. They're going to go, all right, so he was drunk and we can't use that as evidence because he was drunk, but he's also fidgeting like a fucking madman whenever I bring this up. You know what I mean? Like I said, I'm not saying it would be the be-all and end-all of getting away with it. I'm saying it would be a good little added thing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, there you go. A good thing on top because then, as I said, if if they go, oh, well, what did that person look like? Well, I, I I think they were white, but, you know, I was pretty, at that stage, I was pretty drunk. You, do you know? Do you, do you see where I'm getting at? Like it allows you to fog over details because you can't remember it, and the toxicology report of your blood alcohol level would support that story. Yeah, I'm just gonna jump right into. Sorry, that was just a thought I was right. having. So this is the this is the start of the second in uh, in interview. Take that first interview that we had, which was you know hours after what what had transpired. Put it aside. It's almost like we've never spoken before, okay? So we're starting afresh. We're starting from new. That way you're not going to say, I think I already told him that. Don't worry about what you've already told me. Do you, Jennifer Penn, swear or declare that the evidence that you give in this investigation shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God? Yes. We're going to see if we've learned or if you've remembered anything else, and there's some questions with respect to that uh, statement that I'm going to ask you about. Okay, but I'm going to let you start again, and and let's let's move forward from any time in that day where you want to start. If it's the time you woke up, or if it's the time that your first interaction, it's your choice. Okay, I'm just I'm very nervous, and I why are you let's why are you why are you nervous? Tell me about why you're nervous. Because I don't want to say the wrong things. Oh, so because that day was a lot. You're right, and I've been scattered and so bits and pieces are here and some pieces aren't here and I'm just so I want you to sit back in your chair okay just sit back in your chair take a deep breath okay close your eyes just follow my line just sit back in the chair for a second sit back relax the best you can close your eyes and just breathe for a minute okay
So what you might have picked up on what the detective uses at the very, very start of the interrogation or the interview is he says, that first interview, forget about it. We pretend like it never happened. Like we didn't even go over it. Give me an entire recounting of everything that happened Mm. as if we didn't have that discussion before. Brilliant if you're trying to pick holes in someone's statement. Because they're going to, if it's a factual statement, they're going to recall it, you know, picture perfect. Here's how it happened. This happened, this happened, this happened. Here's the brass, you know, tactics. Here's the point A to point B. Here's the one, two, three, four. Someone who's fabricated a story, it takes a lot of thought process to fabricate a story, something that never happened in the first place. You know, you think about writing a short novel or a short story in the top of your head. You haven't written it down at all. You've gone over it in your head and then you've told it to someone. And then two days pass, you haven't thought about it much at all, or maybe you have, and then you ask to do the same thing again. You're gonna yeah. you're gonna fuck something up in between, and not asking them to just say it again, but asking them to say it again days later. Verbatim, yeah, and days later, exactly. But yeah, you, what a dumb bitch! Don't say you're nervous. Yeah, that was the other thing. What are you nervous I'm about? I'm nervous. Babe? I'm nervous. I'm gonna screw things up for you and make it harder for you, and like that. You've just you've just cemented yourself in the fuckery that the detective's going to bring upon you. Although, in saying that, I always say I get nervous going through airport security, even though I never have anything to worry about. I'm always yeah. like, what if they find that bag of cocaine I don't own in the bottom of my suitcase? But if you're pulled aside so they can do the test for your bags to see if you have cocaine or a bomb in there, you don't say to the guy, oh, I'm really nervous, really yeah, nervous true. about this one. Fuck me if you find something in there. I'm screwed, <laughs> mate. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, you don't. That's, yeah, that's true. And uh, also, again, for auditory listeners, uh, she's doing this thing with her hand, which is it's a, a form of cope, coping mechanism yeah, where she's fidgeting. Self soothing or self pacifying. Self pacifying, I believe it's called, where she's basically just pulling her fingers and fidgeting with her hands while the detective's telling her to breathe and whatnot. And it's. Um, basically she's obviously terrified of having to recall the entire story again because she probably knows there's not going to be a perfect recalling of her fabricated story and that she's also potentially fucked if she messes this up. Let's continue. What I couldn't remember is when I woke up, I had some breakfast... So just to boil it down, she essentially says that um, there's just several things that are kind of out of whack. Like specifically, she says her mum goes out for line dancing at a specific hour and she's on the phone um, listening to, talking to her friends on the phone. But at at first it was the TV. Um, So there's just several different discrepancies there. What is she saying? She's calling him by his name to come down. So give us verbatim, what do you hear her saying? In Vietnamese. She's like, And what does that translate to? Uh, That's my father's name, Han. Uh, Come down here. Does she say anything else associated with that? that? I can't hear clearly because, like, I was on the phone and the TV was on, but that's what I heard. Is she yelling? Or is it uh, normal? It's a loud, she's not yelling, but it's a loud tone. Okay. As I'm hanging up the phone with him, I hear footsteps going up the stairs. Okay. But they're not... They're heavier footsteps than what is to be expected from my parents. So what's interesting here is she has this literal polar opposite tone within the same sentence, where she's describing what her mother was yelling when the intruders come in, in Vietnamese, to what that... Vietnamese phrase means in English. Um, And the reason why it's so polar opposite is because the two different parts of the brain, one that covers grief and, um, and, and disdain and um, emotion essentially is one part of your brain. And then the other part of the brain that recalls 
facts or, 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 or gives facts, um, factual statements. They're two different parts of your brain. And she's struggling to formulate this emulation of grief and emotion while also trying to cover her ass with this fabricated story. So you get this two completely different tones within the same sentence. And it's it's fascinating to listen to because that's essentially what they can pick her apart on in the in the trial or use as evidence against her you know it, it's one of those things where you go you can look at that and and, and that's almost such such a, a damning thing if you know anything about psychology i peered out and there was a person in the my what would have been my brother's room and where's your brother's room located uh, just a little bit down the, like i could see my from my doorway to his doorway just okay. a little bit down the hall okay From where I was standing, my father was sitting on the right, and my mother was sitting on the left. Sitting where? On a couch, on our couch. Sitting on the couch. Are they looking out towards you? No, their backs are towards me. Okay. And you're now on the ground level? Are you on the floor? Or on the sitting sitting on the the floor? I'm sitting on the floor. All right, where are your hands? They had tied my hands, as I said. Let's go back up to the stairs. Remember we said... Okay, so I think I'm just going to... We're going to call it there because that that was the main sort of thing I wanted to showcase was that that in itself, the, the holes in the details and the, mm. the the differences in tonality and the voices, that's the interesting thing of this case. And that's what draws so many people in to watch these inter- interrogations. Not only the fact that there's so much documented footage of it, probably like more so than most other cases. Yeah. But... It's all within those interrogations where you go, oh, shit, she's done it, mm. you know? And that's the interesting thing about it is once you sort of have it explained to you or you ha- you realize the, the psychology behind what she's doing, what she's saying, you go, oh, yeah. shit, interesting, damn. You never would have picked it or maybe you would have, but... Yeah, that's um, that's the interrogation. Strongly yeah. recommend that you guys check it out. Um, yeah. It's a very interesting video. Very interesting case. I agree. Yeah. I find ones like this very fascinating. Yeah. It, 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 there's, I think the video on it that I've seen, which I believe is from a channel called... Bear with me. Speed it out. Uh, JCS Criminal Psychology. Um, and they basically just have these videos, like these long-ass, you know, hour-long videos on the interrogations and interviews with or documented footage of um, these notorious cases and break it down psycholo- psychologically, you know, what the connotations behind the things they're saying and and all that. So, definitely would recommend checking them out. Uh, yeah, that's the case. That's it. That's it. That's all there is. There isn't any more. Yeah. So, um, I think we're going to wrap it up. Uh, thank you guys very much for checking us out. Yeah. I'm going to ed- edit this episode and splice some stuff in. Um, so, it's going to be a late night for me, but fuck it. Why not? Tomorrow's Friday for Why us. Why not? Tomorrow's Friday. Maybe the end of the world. Maybe. I'm too scared yeah. to check the news. I'm sure I'll get prompted with an update or we'll get fucking Amber alerts. Yeah. <laughs> Something. I've never been so grateful to live in Australia, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean. don't get me wrong. Our politics, our politicians rather yeah, no are is, like you know, not perfect. the best, but uh, yeah. If anything, it's just, it's just... um. A very scary time, not only like because of what can happen from the election, but the results will ultimately cause riots happening in every fucking state ever, Mm. which is terrifying. Very fucking scary. It's so interesting, though, when you look at the topics that are trending on Twitter at the moment. So it's US election results. Trump is a laughing stock. I have one Pennsylvania. 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, wrap it up. Thank you guys very much for checking out Shaking yeah. Not Stirred. Don't forget to check out our new merch. Yeah. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. Follow us on social media at the BSC podcast. We hope we know that we do have a lot of American listeners. So if you are listening to this, no matter who you voted for, I hope you are staying safe because it's kind of, honestly, I think whatever the result is, it's going to be a scary few weeks for America. Yeah, definitely. So, you know what? We're not Trump lovers by any stretch on this show, but even if you did vote Trump, stay safe, uh, look after yourself because I feel like shit is about to hit the fan, no matter who wins. Yeah. But, but also... I don't know how true this is. I've seen this circulating a few times. It's a tweet from Donald Trump that says, if Biden somehow manages to win this election, you won't see me again. I'll simply leave the country. <laughs> Which is just fabulous. Wow. I think I feel like I need to check this out now to see if that's actually a legit tweet. And then the the screenshot I've seen circulating, Joe Biden replies and he says, Biden. <laughs> I think it's a meme. I think pretty, it's a real thing. I mean, the first one I wouldn't put it past him to tweet. But uh yeah, I don't know. It's um Oh, our cats are calling us. Yeah. You know what's funny is um a lot of his tweets have this uh this blocking feature on it that says some or all of the content shared in this tweet is disputed and might be misleading about an election or other civic process. Yeah. That's on the current uh president of America's Twitter right now. They have... He has... I've seen at least five of those same blocks. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah. It's not good. All right, kids. We love you all. Um, We'd love it if you would check out our merch. Uh, check it out. We'll be wrapped a regular schedule um, next Wednesday for the main episode and then Friday again for the Shake and Stir episode. But uh, until then, stay classy, stay safe, and drink lots of alcohol you if stay responsibly. Sexy, San Diego. Yeah. Goodbye. Goodbye.